Welcome to an audio stream from San Marino Community Church, featuring our own pastoral staff and various guest speakers. We're going to continue today in our uh, sermon series going through the book of Luke. Today we're coming in at Luke 14, verses 15 through 24. You can find those on the back of your bulletin. They'll be on the screen, or if you brought your Bible with you, I invite you to open up with me to Luke 14, verses 15 through 24. In the midst of this, um, Jesus has been hanging out with a lot of people. So he's at a party. Uh, We're going to talk more about the context of what he's saying in this moment in just a minute. But he's still in the height of his ministry, still in the height of teaching, of taking these little stories of the day-to-day lives that people had back then and building big lessons, uh, kingdom lessons, into those stories. That's all that a parable is. So here's the parable uh, parable of the great banquet. When one of those at the table with him, Jesus, heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed are those who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. We'll talk about that in a minute. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. That guy doesn't have any manners. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Friends, if you will, join me as we pray on the scripture. God Almighty, your words sometimes are so simple that they are difficult to understand. And so we pray that as we approach your scripture, that we will seek first your voice and your face and your truth. We are imperfect people and we uh, get distracted easily thinking about the things that should be done, could be done. And so we pray, God, that you will give us a bit of reprieve from that moment, that instead we might just dwell in the calling of your voice. We pray, God, that we might hear you rightly, even through our imperfection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So one of the things that I love about Jesus is that Jesus loves food. And we know that he loves food for several reasons. Two of the most compelling reasons being, A, Scripture says that he has a reputation for being a glutton and a drunkard. Those are Scripture's words, not mine. And he appears to have worked really hard for that reputation because B, if the guy isn't seated in front of a plate of food 
or attending a party, then he is talking about eating food and attending the party. The guy loves food and parties. Today, when we jump into where Jesus is in scripture, we find him in what must have just been the best moment, right? Because not only is he at a party in front of the table, but he's also talking about the party and eating in front of a table. This is like the best. What more does he want? So as he's talking in this party about parties, we find ourselves in the middle of what is turning out to be a pretty involved lesson on party etiquette. That's what's happening before we get to our scripture passage today. Jesus is giving this in-depth description of how to be a good party goer. Lesson number one, if you are able to take away someone's suffering, there is never a good reason not to, even if you're in the midst of a really good party. Number two, don't assume that you're the most popular person at the party. And lesson number three, don't just invite people that you know really well to parties, but also invite the people that you don't know well, who either don't have the means or don't have the network to throw a party on their own. So that's the lesson that he's just given on party etiquette right before our scripture passage for today. And it's that last point about inviting people into a party, inviting people you don't really know well to your own party that causes this weird reaction with some of the people who are listening. The message words this reaction this way. It says, when Jesus mentioned that inviting people to your own party, inviting people you don't know to your party is like being in the presence of the kingdom of God. When he mentions the resurrection, the kingdom of God, it triggered a response from one of the guests. How fortunate is the one who gets to eat in God's kingdom? To which Jesus followed up by saying, yes, before then continuing on with our parable today. Something I've never really gotten about that guy, and that's why I keep on giving you weird looks. Have you ever been in a really awkward situation where someone says something that's difficult? It's true, but it's difficult, and they say it in a group. There's always that one person who knows how to respond to sort of diffuse it by saying nothing, right? Mine, the one that I use is good times, good times, right? That's sort of their good times, good times. So here's this guy where it's gotten really awkward. Jesus is giving party etiquette, saying that you need to be able to invite people that can't give you anything back to your parties because that's going to be what brings you into the kingdom of God. And it's all really awkward. And then you have this guy. How fortunate is the one who gets to eat the dinner in the kingdom of God? (laughs) Right? So that's what's sort of happening right here is that you can sense that there's awkwardness. There's something difficult that's happening. Jesus follows that up by saying yes. He's not going to make it more awkward in his response until we get into the passage, but we sense where it's going. So he continues with the parable for today. He says, A man invites all of his friends to his house for a great, a great banquet. He sends his servant out to call them in for dinner once the food is already on the table, only to have his friends reply with excuses because it turns out that their property and their businesses And their marriages are more important to them than attending this extravagant feast. So the servant goes back and he tells his boss they're not coming. To which the boss replies saying this in the message. Quickly get out into the city streets and the alleys. Collect all who look like they need a square meal. All the misfits and the homeless and the wretched that you can lay your hands on 
and bring them here. Then go to the country roads. So first you're in the alley streets, now you're in the country roads. Wherever you can find, drag them in. I want my house full. Let me tell you, not one of those originally invited is going to get so much as a bite at my dinner party. Just sort of an alarming sentiment to end his little story on, right? After he finishes his story, it gets worse. Luke says that Jesus is then speaking. He says that, and then he turns to the large groups who are traveling with him and says, Anyone who comes to me but refuses to let go of father, mother, spouse, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even oneself, cannot be my disciple. For being such a seasoned party-goer, Jesus is sort of acting like a bit of a downer. And all the same, we in the church have been able to gather some of the lessons that are intended from this parable. We've gathered them over the years. Lessons about excuses that we make in the face of God's invitation. Lessons about how God prioritizes the down and out, the poor and depressed, and invites them to the table. Lessons about how there's no placing our napkin on the back of the chair and reserving our seat so that we can return at a later time that's more convenient for us. If it's not important enough for us to sit down when the host is ready to serve the meal, then it's not important. It's a tough parable. I think there's another story in scripture that might help us understand some of the joy that's to be had in this. There's another story about a man who invites someone to his royal table. And because I'm a big believer that we best understand scripture by holding it in relationship with other pieces of scripture, we're going to talk about that man today. How many of you have ever heard of a man named Mephibosheth? Anyone? Nice. Extra points up here in the front. When Mephibosheth was five years old, his grandfather, Saul, who was the king of Israel, had taken a spiritual turn for the worse. Saul had gotten proud. He had turned away from God, and he had started to go his own way until he learned that God was about to overthrow his reign and put a young man named David in his place as the king of Israel. Now see, back in that day, whenever a king was about to be overthrown, the new king would then go and kill the previous king along with everyone else who was associated with him. So family, friends, employees, the whole lot. And he would kill all of those people in order to guarantee that there would be no attempt for that old regime to stir back up a revolt and take back the crown. That was common practice. It was brutal, but it was common. So it was really interesting when David did no such thing. Because you see, David was close friends with Saul's son, Jonathan, who had been killed along with Saul in a battle before David could even take the crown. And before Jonathan was killed, he asked David to make him a promise as his best friend. And this is what he said. 1 Samuel 20 has Jonathan speaking to David saying this. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. So he's saying, may you be a good king with God behind you, just as God was behind Saul. He says, if I am still alive, show me the faithful love of the Lord. 
As in, if I make it through this whole thing, please don't kill me. But if I die, never cut off your faithful love from my house. Even if the Lord were to cut off every one of the enemies from David from the face of the earth, don't cut off your love for my house. Saying, don't just spare my life, but spare the life of those people that are related to me. And so this is what happens in 2 Samuel 9, verses 4 through 6. I'm sorry, 2 Samuel 9, verses 1 through 3. So this is after David is already king. He's in, the, he's in the palace. Everything's cool. Everything's copacetic. He says this at dinner. David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's house named Ziba, and they summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, are you Ziba? And Ziba says, at your service. I don't know why they record all that stuff. And then the king asked, is there still no one left? In the house of Saul, to whom I can show God's kindness. And Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. So this is Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth was lame in both feet, but he was not born that way. He was made that way. Because when Mephibosheth was five years old, David became king. And he was being cared for by a nurse who, when she heard that Saul and Jonathan were both killed in battle, she feared that both she and Mephibosheth would be murdered by David because they were related to Saul. That's what always happened. And so she fled from what she assumed was going to be certain death, carrying Mephibosheth in her arms. And in her haste to leave in her rush, she drops Mephibosheth and he's paralyzed for the rest of his life. So let's continue on. David says to Ziba, where is he? Where is Mephibosheth? The king asked. And Ziba answered, he is at the house of Machir, son of Emil and Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar to the house of Machir, son of Emil. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, see what the scripture is doing there, that repetition, trying to drive home the point, he shouldn't be here. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Okay, so after Mephibosheth is dropped by his nurse, he and the nurse continue to live together in a foreign land. And I want you to imagine with me some of the stories that she could have been telling Mephibosheth as he was growing up. Stories that say something like, if we didn't have to flee, then you wouldn't be crippled. Stories like, it's all David's fault. Stories about how David would kill him in an instant if he were to ever see you again and not even care. He is the enemy of the house of Saul and he is the enemy of you. Imagine how your life has been shaped by someone that you've never even met. How would we feel if we were Mephibosheth? Scared? that we would be found any day by David's men or helpless because even if they did find us, it's not like we could run away or angry that our lives had been so intimately shaped by an enemy, by one that didn't love us, didn't care about us. When we consider all of these things, it's no wonder that Mephibosheth reacts to David the way that he does 
when we start in at verse 7, we have Mephibosheth saying, at your service. And then we have David saying, don't be afraid. For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the lands that belong to your grandfather, Saul. And you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the lands for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, see that reputa- the repetition? He's trying to prove something. He's trying to drive home a point. Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table, and he was lame in both feet. Friends, it was no little honor that David was bestowing on Mephibosheth. In fact, it was even more so of an honor considering that as a person with a disability, Mephibosheth would have been required by religious law to sit away from the table, away from any table. Because back then, disabilities and uncleanliness were muddled together in ways that we understand not to be true now. For Mephibosheth and for David, eating together was beyond the realm of possibility for them both. If both of them had kept to the status quo, Mephibosheth should have been killed immediately after David had taken the crown. And if he had somehow escaped, then he certainly never should have come near the royal table for his own safety's sake. That's not even to mention the violation of religious law, which is a much greater status quo that was happening every time, every day that Mephibosheth took his seat at David's table. The chance that David and Mephibosheth would ever sit down at the same table was well beyond the realm of possibility for any human. And yet, it did happen. Which brings us to the first of two points as we sum up for today. Only two points. One is about God and one is about us. The first is about God. First point is God is wastefully generous. For God, it's not about us. It's not about whether or not we are acceptable. It's not about whether we are following the status quo that dictates how things should be done. For God, it's about the one who is hosting. For God, it is about the one who is hosting, being interested first in life and life to the full, not just survival but life to the full. The God that we serve is wastefully generous, and it's the kind of generous that sets the table first and then invites the friends. The kind of generous that doesn't cancel or reschedule the party when no one RSVPs, but instead welcomes everyone in who will accept the invitation. God, like this man throwing the party in Jesus' parable, 
God is not going to let his generosity be dictated by the ungrateful or by the unwilling, which makes his generosity the most defining part of his character. The party is there whether we show up or not. This man is going to be giving it regardless of who is present. In fact, who receives the generosity is not as important as who is giving the generosity. And so as a result of our being Christ ones, Christians, we are also called to be generous. We are also called to be generous before we are analytical or generous before we are judgmental or generous before we know who we are even giving to. Like David bringing Mephibosheth to the table, like this man in the parable, we are called to be wastefully generous and not just when the opportunity presents itself, not just when it's easy for us, but we are called to seek out these opportunities to give lavishly, just like David sought out Mephibosheth, just like that man's servant sought out the misfits. We too are called to be wastefully generous. That's point number one, point number two. Point number two is those who refuse a seat at the table are not the only ones who are missing out. Those who refuse a seat at the table are not the only ones missing out. Friends, so often when we read this parable in church, we talk about the people who are missing out on the feast that waits before them, the people who make the excuses, who, by the way, are the friends. They're the religious people. We talk about them. And we talk about how they refuse either because they don't know the importance of the feast or because they were never invited to the feast. And then we talk about how we can bring those people in. But that's not the be-all, end-all of this story. It's not just about what people are missing when they don't show up. It's also about what those who are seated at the table are missing when there are empty seats present. I want to explain this with Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth lost his place at the king's table in what was brutal but fair political play. And David invited him back because of David's promise to Jonathan. Because from the moment that David vowed to Jonathan that he would love Jonathan's family, the empty seat at David's table became less about Mephibosheth and what Mephibosheth was missing and more about David. And what David was missing on following through on who he said he was going to be. Mephibosheth was a necessary presence at David's table in order for David to live out his calling. Without Mephibosheth there, David was unable to be who he had promised Jonathan he would be. And so David needed Mephibosheth at that table in order to fulfill who he was. And so, my friends, we are called to do the same thing because we are called by the same person who calls David. We are called to be people after God's own heart. We are called to be generous first. We are called to seek out with fervor and commitment the people who need generosity the most because it's not just the people who aren't at the table who are missing out. So long as there are empty seats at God's table in God's kingdom, then we are the ones who are missing out because we are not 
fully being who we are called to be. The good news is, and there is good news, is that in the same way that David sought out Mephibosheth, in the same way that we are called to seek out those people who belong at this table, so we were sought out first. And if we can respond to God's calling, if we can take our seat, then there's no reason to believe that those seats won't be filled by anyone that we ask to join us, to join us in life and life to the full. Friends, I invite you as we consider our calling on our lives, as we consider those people that are not at the table yet, to take a few moments of reflection and to speak to God or to sit in the silence, to hear who we are called to be and how we can be those people this week and in the weeks to follow.